two on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Scott Wheeler, NHL and draft prospects expert from The Athletic, is going to join us in a moment here to talk about the Canucks in this prospect pool, which is vaulted all the way up to number 18 in the Athletics rankings. It's pretty good stuff. Uh, hour two of this program is brought to you by Primetime and Bridge Brewing. Created for beer lovers, Primetime is full flavor without compromise. It's BC's only low-calorie, low-carb craft beer with 5% alcohol volume, delivering a crisp and refreshing taste that's perfect for hanging with your buds, responsibly, of course. Also, before we get to Kintech, we're giving away a $100 gift card to Primetime Bridge Brewing today for the best what we learned. Get it in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. You need to, one, hashtag it WWL. Two, make it a good submission. And then three, put a beer emoji into the text. You'll be entered into the draw for a $100 gift card to Primetime and Bridge Brewing. It's not a draw. It's a contest. 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 Best what we learned. Best what we learned. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, that's what. We go now to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call, the call goes to Scott Wheeler from The Athletic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Scott. How are you? I'm uh, I'm grinding here. As you guys sort of mentioned off the top, it's uh, prospect pool ranking time, which... If I'm being honest, isn't my favorite time of the year. It's a real sort of slog to get through all 32 of them, but we're uh, we're halfway there. Today marks the halfway point, so we're we're getting closer to the finish line, and then I can get back to doing the stuff that I actually enjoy, which is sort of getting on the road and telling stories and the other the other part of my job, if you will. Well, you're at the halfway point, and the Canucks are around that halfway point, which is a good thing for the organization because last year mm-hmm. they were number 28 in these rankings, so they bump up 10 spots to 18, uh, despite moving out one of their better prospects in Hunter Brustewicz. So let's get right into it. Uh, no surprise, really, that Jonathan Lekromaki comes in at number one. This is on the heels of winning MVP at the World Juniors. Now, you wrote that there was, quote, some important work done on the areas of his game that needed it. Can you tell our listeners what areas showed the most improvement for Lekaramaki? Yeah, it's it's been a really, really positive, I want to say, 10 months or so here. He was excellent uh, in the Hockey Alsvenskin playoffs to close out last season. Sort of one of the, the better playoff performers at Sweden's second tier. Uh, then he signs a contract and moves up to the SHL to play full-time at Sweden's top level. Uh, in that process, just became a more involved player. The the, critic, the big criticism, if you will, of Jonathan Lecker and Mackey over the years is that, especially at the pro level early on, there were times, and even against his peers, frankly, there have always been times in games where he's kind of drifted, where he's come and gone in games, where he's found himself on the perimeter a little bit too much, where he hasn't been a, a particularly hardworking player off the puck. Uh, and then the natural skill would always take over and he'd get his goals and his power play nuggets and all of that because of the talent level and his ability to shoot the puck and score and the individual skill on the puck and all of that. Uh, but he just needed to play with a little bit more juice, a little bit more of a sort of competitiveness. Uh, he needed to just get involved more, be, be a factor on more shifts 
than he has been in the past. And that's been his calling card this year. He's been a much more consistent five-on-five presence, uh, not just in terms of scoring goals, but creating looks, getting on pucks. Uh, We've seen him sort of scratch, including in the gold medal game at the World Juniors, we've seen him sort of scrap for pucks and, and play with a bit of a chip on his shoulder and then that's going to allow him at the NHL level if he continues to play that style uh, and if he continues to sort of find a more consistency in his game, if you will, that's going to allow him at the NHL level to get the trust of a coach in order to get out there at five on five. Uh, we all know uh, it doesn't take long watching him play that he's going to be a power play guy uh, once he reaches the NHL level, but can he be a top six winger in in that can he be counted to play 14, 15 minutes a night at even strength? That That was always the sort of big question. He's checked those boxes. His skating looks better. Uh, mm-hmm. He looks a little quicker. Uh, there, there's a lot to like about uh, sort of the progress that he's made. And it's not a huge surprise. This is a kid who was a late birthday in his draft year, so one of the younger players in his draft year, and dealt with a lot of injuries, dealt with mono, dealt with COVID. Uh, so, so him sort of having a little bit of a come up here, having a, a sort of steeper development curve over the last 10 months than most other players in that draft have isn't a huge surprise considering his birthday and and the time that he lost uh, sort of prior to the draft process, if you will. Does he have any edge? Does he have an edge to his game? Does he play with high energy? Because uh, I think one of the reasons that Nils Hoaglander has been able to break through is that he's always had that edge and he's always had that motor. Um, he had to learn a few details in the game. He had to learn to he had to gain the trust of the coaching staff, and that's why he went down to the AHL last season for a while. But he always brought that energy, and he always actually had a, like a kind of an underrated nastiness to his game. Is there anything in that of that in Leckermacki? Uh, not particularly. It's never going to be a, a calling heart of, of, of his game, if you will. I do think he actually has, in terms of the way he carries himself, has a little bit of an edge. I know he rubbed some scouts and general managers and that kind of thing a little bit the wrong way in the interview process in his draft year. We obviously saw the handshake line and the way that it played out with Cutter Gauthier. I had colleagues who came over to Sweden with me for, for the World Juniors this year who kind of midway through the tournament turned to me and said, he's a terrible interview, right? Like he's a really bad quote. He doesn't sort of, uh, he's not the friendliest guy. He doesn't have time for a lot of people. I think that is, is sort of a part of his aura. There's, uh, I don't want to say sort of cockiness. He's a kid and he, there's, there's some maturing that's going to happen, but uh, he's not the super friendly type. Uh, that's, that's a part of who he is. But in terms of on the ice, I don't think there's a lot of sort of FU in his game. He's not, uh, he's never going to be a super sort of competitive, thorny kind of player. That's just not uh, sort of his identity, even the energy off the puck. I, I think it's improved for sure over the last year, uh, but it's still never going to be a sort of defining, cra- defining trait, if you will. He's going to need to play with guys who are like that. He's going to need to play with guys who can get him the puck. And then you just hope that he's so talented as a as a scorer and an individual threat that that's going to carry him throughout his career. He sounds like a Canuck, or sounds like a guy that the Canucks are just bringing in for a look. Is like Phil Kessel a comparison for him? Uh, a little bit, maybe. Um, sort of that one shot threat. Uh, obviously, uh, I think in Lecker Mackey's case, he's a, a sort of. Uh, a little bit more well-rounded than Phil. Phil, even in his best of times, was uh, 
uh, even a liability in his Toronto days and even a little bit in his Pittsburgh days, a bit of a liability defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's going to necessarily be the case for Lekaramaki. I do think he's going to show a little bit more of a sort of competitive streak, if you will. Uh, but there are some similarities, certainly in terms of the, the goal-scoring tilt of their games, their personalities, the way they sort of carry themselves with the media and all of that. There, there's some parallels there for sure. I like the idea of like, kid, you're you're really rude and dismissive and you don't have time for me. I like that. I like that. In <laughs> Shows you have an edge. Uh, Tom Willander, how has he adjusted to uh, life at BU? It's been a, a work in progress. I mean, certainly he stepped right in. He played immediately sort of uh, a regular role at five on five. He's helped out on the penalty kill a little bit. There have been moments in games, and this is a little bit of a surprise for Tom, moments in games where he's kind of been walked. The, the strength of his game has always been uh, the way that he defends his skating, uh, his athleticism, how strong he is on pucks and in those sort of engagements. Uh, when he closes a gap and that kind of a thing. There have been a couple of moments at the World Juniors, at BU, uh, including in the Beanpot. He was got sort of danced on the the overtime winner in the Beanpot this weekend. Uh, so there have been there have been moments where I've sort of thought to myself, hey, I'm not that's not what I'm used to seeing out of Tom Wander. His his bread and butter truly is sort of the two way game. His ability to defend at a very very high level, especially one on one with his skating and the way he sticks with opposing players. Uh, we've seen him at uh, particularly at U18 Worlds uh, in Switzerland last spring. See him just completely dominate very good players defensively, take away their time and space, eliminate stars. Uh, that's that's what's been his calling card. He has shown uh, a sort of a really strong transition game at BU. I'll give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, he's been a, as a freshman defenseman, as an 18-year-old defenseman, a very good player for them. So I'm not not trying to knock the kid, but there have been at least a couple of moments that have made you, uh, made you pause with him this year. Uh, still though, I mean, he, he looks to me like a kid who's just going to be a, a second pairing top four guy, excellent at even strength, drives results, two way type, good in transition. He's never going to have a ton of offensive flair. Uh, he can manage the puck and get his shots through and walk the line and all of that. Uh, but not a super aggressive sort of ambitious offensive player by any stretch. So uh, just plays a, a, an efficient sort of really impressive two-way game. That's what you're you're hoping for out of him long-term. We are speaking to Scott Wheeler, NHL draft and prospects expert from The Athletic here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, the next one up after Lekromacki and Willander, because this is a 23 and under list, is the silly Pod Colson. Now, it's been an interesting journey for Pod Colson coming over from the KHL, getting some significant time at the NHL level, and now uh, applying his trade with AHL's Abbotsford Canucks. Um, it's tough because on the one hand, you look and you say, you guys taken after him in the same draft class, like Matthew Boldy and Cole Caulfield, uh, probably the two most notable ones, 12 and 15, after Pod Colson was taken at 10. Fully-fledged NHLers doing their thing. Uh, producing, and you've got Pod Colson still trying to figure it out in the hopes of becoming an NHLer. Uh, where are you with regards to how long it takes a prospect to develop? I know 22 is still relatively young, but there are guys in that class that are much further ahead. So basically, at number three on your list, where are you up on Pod Colson in terms of his NHL uh, ceiling? Well, I still think you're you're hoping for sort of a complimentary middle six guy eventually. I, I think you're probably looking at a bottom six guy in the sort of near to medium term, and you hope that sort of into his late 20s, 
that he can sort of develop into maybe something slightly more than that, maybe more of a middle six piece of the puzzle. Uh, that's got to be really the feeling at this point. I don't think there's an expectation for more than that. You're hoping at this point that he can become kind of a 40-point guy in the NHL, a guy who makes three or four million bucks on a roster kind of thing. Uh, I don't think you're looking at a five, six, seven million dollar player someday, which is obviously what you'd hope for out of that. And in Cole Caulfield and Matt Boldy's case, those guys might be seven, eight million dollar players. So um, there's a there's a there's a gap that has has sort of established there between him and some of that other class. Uh, you're talking to a guy who who wasn't honestly uh, very high on Pod Colson at all. I had Pod Colson sort of 19th, 18th, 19th on my list uh, back in his draft year, and felt at the time that. Uh, his performances at the Helenka Gretzky Cup and a couple of international events were being overweighed. Uh, I felt the same about Philip Broberg in Edmonton, who's also uh, had a bit of a tough go in terms of establishing himself relative to a top 10 pick. Uh, and so it's been it's been difficult go for him. He's still a bit, I mean, you guys, I'm sure have seen him around the it's, oh. and that kind of thing. He's still a stocky, sort of really strong, well-built kid. He's got a little bit of individual skill. My, my concern with Pod Colson over the years has been that he relies, I think, a little bit too much on instinct. Uh, he plays to sort of make the first play that he sees out there rather than sort of processing the game and slowing it down. And uh, really, that's the way that the game that is played nowadays, especially inside the offensive zone when things slow down. The players who can sort of think it out there and problem solve and uh, make consistently good decisions on the puck are the ones who are finding success. And I, so I've always just questioned that a little bit with him. I do think there's some tools there, um, but I'm not sure he's ever going to be more than just sort of a a secondary or even tertiary sort of kind of player inside a group of 12 forwards. So the rest of the list is Atu, Ratu at four, DPD at five, Silovs at six, Truscott at seven, Archie Baines, who's having a fantastic year in the American League at eight. So in light of all that, Scott, before we let you go, I just wanted to ask how um, how pumped or how enamored or how buoyed should the fan base be by this prospect group? Because while it's still in the bottom half, of the National Hockey League in terms of your rankings, it did jump 10 spots from one year to the next. Yeah, I, I think the addition of Wolander, uh, acquiring Atuhatu, there, there's been some some pieces of the puzzle sort of injected in the pool. And one guy who you didn't mention, who I believe is at 10, I don't have the list in front of me, but I believe he's at 10, is uh, Sawyer Minio, who's had a nice season, got signed to an entry-level contract, has actually kind of surprised me uh, with the jump that he's taken. He was sort of hidden on a very deep Seattle team last year and his uh, now that they're in a rebuild mode and he's still around within that group, he's been allowed to play a leading role in the WHL, which I think has been good for him. Uh, so there's there's some positives. Obviously, you mentioned Baines. Baines is a, a definite positive. He's really emerged this season as a worthwhile call-up guy. Like He's he's going to get a look here at some point and, and maybe a long extended look uh, out of camp next year kind of thing. Like that's like, That's the conversation that I think he's put himself in now, which is a uh, a, a sort of nice feather in their cap in terms of his development and the way it's gone, because I think that was always kind of a best case scenario for him was for him to become a, just a piece of the puzzle. And that's what he's sort of forced his way into the conversation that way. So there's some positive notes, that, that, but you're really, you, they've got to make sure that, that Wecker, Mackey and Willander become a, a second line winger and a second pairing defenseman. Like that's, that's got to be the hope here. Uh, and that, that will decide the, as, as is always the case with prospect tools, that will decide the outcome of this group in the long term, especially after they moved on from Bruce Davich, who probably would have ranked, I don't know, fourth, uh, maybe fifth in their group uh, prior to, uh, prior to the move. So a, a sort of B plus prospect, if you will. So uh, they, they, it's still a, it's a decent group. It's a fine group, especially for a team that's, 
obviously at the top of the standings in the Western Conference at the moment. So um, that that that's positive. They've they've got some guys coming, and and hopefully two guys who are, uh, if not sort of star guys, are at least sort of impactful in an NHL lineup. Scott, this was great. Uh, best of luck with the grind moving forward, and thanks again for doing this. Cheers, fellas. Anytime. Uh, Scott Wheeler. NHL draft and prospects expert from the athletic here on the Halford and Brush show on sports at 650. Yeah. Minio was 10 just to finish off his thought there. It's, it's nice. It's refreshing having a prospect pool that you can be somewhat excited by. Cause I remember writing also for the athletic in the, in the dark days mm-hmm. where I spent a lot of time writing about Zach McEwen and uh, Will Lockwood. Yeah. You, you were really on the Will Lockwood beat. There wasn't much to go with at the time. Will Lockwood was a, Bonafide prospect for that group. And then they fast-tracked so many of their prospects, too. It, yep. was, it was You didn't really talk about their development. It was like, they're on the team now. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't great. Like, I'm not, <laughs> you know, uh, McEwen, who, by the way, just cleared waivers the other day, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he was the shining light for that group in mm-hmm. terms of player development because he was a real diamond in the rough. Yeah. But there was also he was a good story though. Yeah. But there was for, no, them, for him to even make it to the NHL yeah, was a good story for, for him. sure. But yeah. you don't want that guy no. to be your top prospect. And at a time you could have made the argument that he might've been. So. Well, uh, the Canucks really need to start developing these guys and make sure, especially on the blue chippers that they pan out because they don't have a first round pick this season. They don't have a second round pick this season and nobody's complaining about that because they're excited for the playoffs, but um, it does m- put a little more pressure on uh, the development staff, but also the scouts to go and find the diamonds in the rough. Uh, we should mention Connor McDavid's night last night in the NHL and as it relates to the Canucks, because the Oilers got back to their high-flying ways last night with an 8-4 win over the Detroit Red Wings. This game was actually 3-3 at one point. It was 3-3 going into the third period. And then the Oilers exploded for five goals, and Connor McDavid had six assists on the night. So if you're looking at the standings, uh, the Canucks, because of their win – opened up a 10-point lead over the Vegas Golden Knights between first and second in the division. Um, The Golden Knights only have one game in hand on the Canucks, so even if the Golden Knights were to win that game, that's an eight-point cushion for the Canucks, and you imagine they're going to have the tiebreaker with all the regulation wins that the Canucks have this season, 32 compared to Vegas's 24 The Edmonton Oilers are even further back, 15 points back of the Canucks, but they have five games in hand on the Canucks. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, those those five games, I mean, they win all five of them, which they're perfectly capable of doing. It brings them up to 73 points, then all of a sudden it's a five-point gap. One thing that I wonder is um, how difficult it's going to be for Edmonton to maintain their pace with such a heavy schedule down the stretch. Five games is a lot Mm -hmm. when you're talking about how many months are left in the season. They go to their schedule, they have a ton of back-to-backs. ton of back-to-backs, right? And then the Canucks also have that nine-game home stretch. Mm -hmm. So not only have the Canucks played a heavy away schedule – They've also played just a heavy schedule. I think it was JPAT that tweeted out that they've played their last game in the Eastern uh, time zone. 
the Canucks have. So even their road trips in terms of distance traveled and time adjustment aren't going to be as difficult. So, you know, if you're looking to make up ground, if you're an Oilers fan, you're feeling good about the fact that you haven't played as many games as the Vegas Golden Knights or the Vancouver Canucks, probably more specifically the Vegas Golden Knights. That's probably the most realistic target for the Edmonton Oilers as far as catching a team and at the very least getting home ice advantage for that series. But they might also have their eyes on the Canucks. Maybe still pe- some people still don't believe in the Vancouver Canucks, and fair enough. They haven't made the playoffs in a while. The furthest east the Canucks go for the remainder of the schedule is Minnesota and Winnipeg. Right. And the Winnipeg game is the last game of the regular season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the travel is significantly different than uh, the Oilers. Like, the Oilers haven't done their Eastern Canada road swing yet. They haven't done... Toronto, Montreal, mm-hmm. um, Ottawa, and so they've got. And, and then you, if you go to their schedule, they do have a lot of back to backs. So the, Vegas is going to be the one you got to watch because they have a, a bunch of games against the Canucks still left, right? And I think the those other, are going to be awesome. Yeah, there's three. If I'm not mistaken, it's three games against the Canucks, and only left. one game against the Oilers for the Canucks. They played three early on, won them all. And they play, it's either like the last game of the season or one of the last games of the season they play in April. Vegas still has a super tough road swing left in their season. It's Mm. at the end of March and the beginning of April. And I believe they play seven of eight on the road. And they play four on the road. And then they go back to Vegas to play the Canucks, oddly enough. Then it's right back out on the road. Now, they stay on the West Coast, so it's not that big of a deal. But again, schedule-wise... You like how it shapes up because I would say of the three teams, one, two, three in the Pacific Division right now, Vancouver has not the easiest, but the most favorable in terms of travel, back-to-backs, and uh, the amount of road trips that they have to go on cross-country. So the amount that's of the, home games that they have. Yeah, the nine-game swing is going to be – I think that might end up being, like, the real decider for the season. The right? nine-game home stretch, yeah, not yeah, a swing. The, yeah. yeah, the, the nine-game uh, stretch home where they, they – re- that's where they're probably going to decide if they're going to finish tops. And they've got the nice cushion right now, too. I mean, Edmonton – the one thing that I think – if Edmonton's going to rue anything this year, rue, it's that – Though everyone will say, well, they, they rebounded from the slow start and they were able to get back in, but the slow start might end up costing them like home ice advantage in the playoffs mm-hmm. or might end or cost- might give them Vegas in the first round. Exactly. Get, give them a much tougher matchup. So there's always consequences, mm-hmm. not just that you lost the services of Jay Woodcroft, but you really, <laughs> you know, you really put yourself in a bind because again, it's, it's too competitive a league to have that bad of a start and not have it come back to bite you in some way, shape or form. Who is the Oilers backup goalie? Uh, right now it's uh, Calvin Pickard. Right. Yeah. So if they're playing a lot of back-to-backs. Well, they could call up Jay Campbell. Jack Campbell. Jay Campbell. Jack. Mm-hmm. They could still call up Campbell. Right. Like he's uh, The numbers for, and I don't know if Laddie's there. You can just nod. Are the numbers in Bakersfield for him? They're so-so, right? He had. I think they've been improving, though. That's funny. Like every time he has a good game in Bakersfield, they're like, "Ooh, Jack Campbell could be back on the way up." And then he has a so-so game, and You're he like, just yeah. stays. And they're not messing with anything right now because they've had what twenty-five wins in their last thirty games. Um, we got an open segment on the other side. Um, maybe something that we could discuss is that we're not going house of negativity here, but what are you worried about with this Vancouver Canucks team? Maybe the answer is nothing, but I'll throw one out there. 
um, and it is kind of random, but what if the LA Kings successfully trade for UC Saros and then the Canucks get the Kings in the first round? Right? That's one that's out there. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Like they, they're, I think they're going to try and do something with their goaltending. And if I were them, I would. Because they've got a really good shot of making the playoffs. In comparison to a team like New Jersey, where you might just be like, you know what? We got Nico Dawes. Let's give him a run. He might be good enough to get us into the playoffs. Laddie loves the guy. And if not, you know, whatever. We we got a we got a good young team and, you know, I think it was was it Wish the other day. Maybe this is a mulligan season for the New Jersey Devils. We got a long road ahead. Let's not worry too much about this particular season. We had a lot of injuries. We've got excuses. The LA Kings they're in win now mode. You know, Kopitar and Doughty aren't getting any younger. Uh, they've added a bunch of players. I think they're probably going to try really hard to address their goaltending. And what if they get UC Saros and then the Canucks all of a sudden have a matchup with the LA Kings and they don't have that massive advantage in goal that you would have had if it's Thatcher Demko versus, you know, Cam Talbot or David Rittich. Uh, text in to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Butis in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So instead of thinking of this as uh, what is worrying you, because that's too house of negativity for some people. It might be like, what do you think the Canucks management is talking about behind the scenes? What do you, what problems do you think they're trying to solve behind the scenes? What worries do you think they have? You're listening to the Alfred and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven thirty-four on a Wednesday. You know it's not just any Wednesday, Jason. What, what kind of Wednesday is it? It's Valentine's Day. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Another reason why I kind of regret wearing red. Hmm. Are you bros- are you brosed Valentine? Is that what the idea? We get well, I because we're the reason why is because we we're not doing the annual Halford and Bruff curtain blog Valentine's Day thing. Yeah. Right, and a couple people have asked because I guess either they didn't get the memo or they just really liked it. It used to be the Jason and exclusively Jason in his annual masterpiece would put together a Valentine's Day playlist of his favorite '80s love ballads and often dedicate them to a Canuck. Mm-hmm. But it just petered out. Said you just said you were done with it. It just it didn't have the same zest. Yeah, so you got to know when to end the bit. You got to know when to hold them and know when to not do Valentine's Day songs anymore. (laughs) So uh, in our last segment, we asked the listeners uh, not to go house of negativity on anyone, but... This is important, um, by the way. Yeah. Um, What do you think that Canucks management is concerned about? Because you know they're working hard behind the scenes. I don't think Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin are like, 
Well, we've got it made. <laughs> We're good. Let's yeah. go to the playoffs. Let's do it. Uh, you know, they're bringing in Phil Kessel to have a look. So why are they doing that? For what reason? What else are they working on? Um, we've heard multiple reports that the Canucks, even after acquiring Lindholm, may not be done. And a lot of you have texted in the same stuff about the top six. And Qualicum Golf Guy texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line and said, I don't like being Captain Obvious, but I am honestly concerned about the top six not being able to play and win the five-on-five battle in the playoffs. There are not as many power plays in the playoffs, so our potent power play, which isn't always potent, by the way, Mm. won't be able to do the same damage as the regular season. Um, A comment, isn't it nice, though, that with this management team, we actually have the depth that has us praising the bottom six forwards Mm. rather than the last 10 years where we knew they were a clear weak point. Um, yeah, there are, uh, um, a lot of people texting in just about the top six, Austin and Langley. I think management is worried about the top six still. Mikheyev coming off of major ACL surgery is still missing a step. I think they still need to add another complimentary guy. I also wonder if they should focus on building a defensive third line and just make the third line, the second line, make the third line, the first line. There's your, there's your top six problem. Um, here's another one that I think is interesting and I have some time for. The Canucks, this is unsigned, the Canucks have too big a gap between their top two defensemen and the rest. They only have two top four defensemen. Even if they stay healthy, the defense is not strong enough against better teams who will have a chance to plan to attack the bottom four, get one or two injuries, and then it's Friedman. Myers is not a top four defenseman on a cup winner. The top two are plus 105. The rest are minus 20. There's plus minus for you. Yes. The D and lack of quality depth will be the downfall if there is one. Uh, And other people are just concerned that we don't really know what the depth is because the Canucks haven't been tested from that perspective just because outside of Carson Soucy, who's had to... Uh, yeah, fairly significant year. injuries. Um, there haven't been any other injuries. I'm going to use this opportunity to shout out another guy that probably doesn't get enough praise. Noah Juleson. He's been he's been a very very nice development. I was beyond skeptical when he was brought aboard, and then it's and then I got the sort of framework and picture in the preseason that he was going to be an almost every night guy. I just didn't think it was feasible for a team that had playoff aspirations to have him logging those kind of minutes. And I don't think I was being overly negative. I think it was the reality. I didn't, there was nothing over his body of work up until this year that showed that he could be a sort of every night NHL defenseman. He was in the American league for a ton of time. Mm -hmm. That guy deserves a ton of credit. And Tockett pointed him out specifically last night when they were asking about who played well. And he's like, well, that third line seems to be doing the business. And he liked the chemistry between Hoaglander and Petey. And then unprompted, brought up Juleson. He's like, I thought Juleson was excellent for us tonight. Mm-hmm. And he said that a few times. And that's a two-pronged thing. One, it's a testament to how the guy is playing currently. But I think Talkett also brings it up because it's a reflection of if you do the things that we tell you to do and you do them well, you're going to thrive. 
Because that's really what Juleson's been about, is they said, and I think a lot of credit, I have to go to Foot and Gonchar on this, here are the things that you need to do with your skill set, and more importantly, in your role on this team. And Juleson was a savvy enough guy to be like, okay, if I go out and I can execute the game plan that my defensive coach has put in front of me, I'm not just going to survive in the NHL. I can thrive a little bit as a third-pairing guy. Like, I don't have much of a concern about him going in to the postseason. I actually think his game might be a little bit more robust in the postseason when it gets physical yeah. because that's kind of his calling card, right? So now the depth, I don't even think this is a Canucks-specific thing. I think anybody's blue line. You start talking about the playoffs and you start talking about depth. You're like, What happens when the injuries mm-hmm. come? What happens when one of our guys gets plastered into the end boards on a four check, right? Because there's some guy running around a thousand miles an hour. Yeah, you need. I mean, I'll. I think I've mentioned this anecdote before on the show, but Lawrence Gilman, way back in the day, said he, he thought that West Coast teams with the travel and everything else needed nine defensemen to make a run to the Stanley Cup final. And and I mean, he might be right. I kind of remember one of the deep runs of Anaheim a few years ago. I think they it petered out in the conference final. And they were down to playing ninth defenseman Corbinian Holzer. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens. So I, I got time for that argument, but I don't think it's Canuck specific. Um, a lot of people texting in about finding the right wingers for Pedersen. And I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I'm glad to see that it was Hoaglander, Pedersen, and Lindholm yeah, last night. And I hope... I hope maybe they just stick with that for a little bit, even if there are some bumps along the road. And Rick Tockett even acknowledged it after the game. Like he said, like, I've bumped Lindholm around a lot. <laughs> and he's been here for like two weeks. Yeah, he has moved around a right? lot. Right? Like, you know, he, he he's moved around a lot. And I think, um, you know, again, that play that he made on the third goal was such a smart hockey play. Um, and I tweeted this out last night. We were, we were, we just did a practice with like our U nine team and we're trying to get them to understand body position. And it's going about as well as you would expect from about seven or eight year olds who are like, uh, I just want to fish for the puck. I just want to poke for the puck because if I get body position, then I might, God forbid, make contact with this other guy. And then I might fall down, which is fair enough. I mean, what's the phrase that you used position, uh, sorry, (laughs) Position before possession. Got it. So what Lindholm did on that play is he skated as hard as he could. And then was it Jacob Megna, the defenseman? Yeah. Um, There was kind of a 50-50 puck battle and Lindholm just moved him. Yeah. Right? He didn't worry about the puck. He just moved him. It was like an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. Just moving the other guy. Magna did not put up much of a restraint. No, it was and then just like, okay, and then the puck was just left there. And w- what you need to learn a lot as a hockey player is like, you don't necessarily have to get the puck because that's where your teammates come in and support the puck. Yeah. And Hoaglander did a really good job of supporting the puck. Lindholm took care of the defenseman. The puck was there. Hoaglander scored. Mm-hmm. So that was a really smart hockey play. And it also so- showed the size and strength of Lindholm on that play. Um, Pedersen wasn't really involved in that play, but hopefully he can find some chemistry with these guys. I mean, he's buddies with Hoaglander, so you know maybe that can help a little bit. I, I don't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, they need to find someone that gels with Pedersen because 
Number one, I don't think they want to go to the lotto line necessarily, just based on the fact that Tockett hasn't put it together much this season. And even though it had a good stretch of three games, it quickly went away in terms of how efficient it was. And then, and then it got broken up and we haven't seen it since. You can always go back to it if you need to, but I don't think they want to. So talking needs to let the reins loose on Hoaglander a bit. I think Hoaglander still is getting like zero ice time. He had 10 minutes and 41 seconds last night. Mm-hmm. He scored 17 goals. He got three goals in his last three games and he's still getting about four and a half, five minutes left than less than McCabe. I think that you need to um, let that trio, the Swedish Trey Kroner trio. It's perfect. It, it works on a marketing level too. Uh, let Lindholm and Petey and Hoaglander just play together mm. and work it out and gain some chemistry. Now, it might come at the expense of Besser Miller Suter, which has kind of been up and down. A few people texting in about Besser hasn't done much in the last little while, and I would agree with that. And that's okay. Right? I mean, Besser's got 30 goals, and he let the media know about it. Besser got he could be thir- streaky, though, right? Like He's always, he's always like been that. streaky. Goal he's- scorers are streaky just by yeah. nature. Sometimes it's just the, I don't know, distribution of shots that go in versus that don't. But I don't I don't even think Besser's been getting the chances no. that he was earlier in the but, season. But his ROI, that's return on investment for you business night, business school night students out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it, it's been great. So I'm not really too worried about that. If he goes into a funk that lasts months and he's into the playoffs, then I'll start worrying. But right now, that's not really it. I, I that's the one. My one takeaway though is I'd like to see that Pedersen, Lindholm, and Hoaglander line stick together, which means Hoaglander gets more minutes and Lindholm starts bouncing around the lineup. Uh, Tim from South Surrey, guys. The most concerning thing for me in going into the playoffs is the size and the grit. We lack it in both areas. I think Lindholm helps a little bit. Again, he made a physical play on that goal by Hoaglander, but I would tend to agree with you. On that, Hoaglander can bring some. Hoaglander's sneaky strong, and when he gets physically involved, um, he can move guys off the puck. It doesn't seem like he's the type of player that should be able to do that, but he is sneaky strong. But I wonder about that too. Uh, Just the makeup that, 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 of uh, like even uh, I'm curious to see Pedersen in the playoffs. That was Tim from South Surrey that sent that in, right? Mm-hmm. The follow up question or the counter that I would ask you, Tim, is what matchup are you worried about where you're going to be? outsized and outgridded or grittied. The only team that's outgridding you is Detroit. Huh? Huh? See what I did there? Oh, because uh, the dance move. <laughs> no, but seriously, with um, the forward group, it's probably not as prevalent, although Joshua is emerging as a force, both physically and <laughs> goal-scoring-wise. But and, and the PK. Like, he is a very good penalty killer. Yeah, and then go to the back end. Is there a more physically imposing back end than when Vancouver has Susie and Zadorov and Myers in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, not, I, I'm not worried about the size. I and just don't see it. Physicality of the back end. Like, are you talking like Edmonton doesn't have it? Edmonton's not that. Mm-hmm. LA. Vegas I th- is. Vegas is. They've got a good fourth line. No, I'm talking about Maybe the how would I'm the talking Can- about the blue. How line. would the Canucks yeah, star Vegas. players hold up to a deep run? How would they do? What do you mean? In terms of a long run. Like, Physicality? Yeah, phys- physically. I mean, it's going to be a grind for anyone. It's not, Again, it's almost like the you need depth on blue line I, for the Canucks and every other team that's going into the playoffs. Like, There's not a ton of teams 
that are built in a very bruising mm-hmm. sort of way, like a throwback to the old heavy Los Angeles Kings teams or even that St. Louis Blues team that won the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. in 2019. I just don't see the matchup out there. So if you're just joining the conversation, um, we're not intentionally trying to be negative about the Canucks. We're talking about what worries might you have about this team now that expectations have risen so significantly, and what worries do you think the management group has that they might potentially be able to solve ahead of the trade deadline? Uh, Mark in White Rock texts in, and this is not an outlier text. We've been getting a lot of texts like this. All this talk about finding line mates for PD, is that the true issue, or is PD the issue? It's not like he's out there controlling play or doing anything that screams that the only thing standing in his way is his line mates. He fumbles the puck, looks slow, and leads the team in power play giveaways. He is not the franchise player people think he is, in my opinion. Mark is not the only guy with that opinion, and I think PD's puck management has been a problem at times, especially on the power play. He's been forcing pucks um, and giving away pucks, Puck management has been an issue on three on three in three on three overtime and whatever. I know that's not going to be a factor in the playoffs, but it is important that your best players manage the puck better than others. Like that is your job. Now, mm. offensive players, you maybe give them a little more leeway. Like a guy like JT Miller is such a good passer and makes so many things happen on the power play. He makes great passes out there. So once in a while when things go awry and he's gunslinging a little bit too much, I personally give him a little more leeway just because, you know, like you want to allow him to be creative because he's got such great vision on the power play. He creates a lot of scoring chances just with his cross-seam passes and sometimes those go the wrong way. What I've noticed from Pedersen on the power play a lot is he's skating himself into trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think the book on him is pressure them, pressure, 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 and he might pass it into your skates. Okay, Mark and White Rock, I want to address a few things here. I think it's important not to um, confuse highest paid player with franchise player, first off. If you're talking about, if you were to ask me who's the Canucks franchise player, I'd say Quinn Hughes without uh, hesitation, I'd say it 10 times out of 10. That's pretty cut and dry. I don't really even need to follow up. You can up. have more than one franchise player. Okay. If you were to tell me who's going to be the most important for the Canucks' uh, success in the playoffs, I'd say Hughes is number one and Demko's number two. Right. That would be my take there. So you don't have anyone in the top six, which might... Um, but I think that's the way the team's built and the team's designed. I think you can win that way because Pedersen's still a 100-point guy. Yeah. Right? I think we all need to wrap our heads around this. Like, people trying to... It's, it's almost like you're trying to fit a puzzle piece in that... That doesn't fit because it's not the right piece. Like if you, if, it's the same guy that's complaining about Bester. Like Bester is what he is at this stage of the game. Pedersen is what he is, but he's going to be a really highly paid player, and he's probably going to be the highest paid player because of circumstances, mm-hmm. because of timing, because of when he's coming up, and how much he means, and how and, valuable a one hundred point center yeah, is in the NHL. You know the back to back hundred points. Like I don't, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You score hundred points, you score hundred points. Yeah, you might have warts in your game, but you're still scoring hundred points, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it was the same situation that we had in Colorado, where Rantanen blew the doors off McKinnon's money, and then McKinnon blew the doors off Rantanen's money. Before I mean, you know, it's just it's it's a lot more contextual than that. 
And that's where I want to like frame it. Like I don't think anything. I can I can see when people get moderately frustrated or they're like, "Oof, this is a guy we're hitching our wagon to and everything." But yeah. then I also look at it and I'm like, "But again, understand the current landscape. Centers that are in their early to mid twenties that can put up a hundred points are going to make a ton of money. That's just the way of the world. That that's where I'll leave that conversation. So Mike and Kelowna text in. We're not being critical enough. Winning the Stanley Cup is serious business. We are a top six line driver and a top three D scorer away from top three contender status. What does that even mean? Well, it means you need another winger and another top four defense. I when, whenever these texts come in, I always ask these people. I'm like, can you point me to the example of what you're talking about? These perfect teams out there that exist. It's a parody league. Well, There's Colorado no a few years ago was as close to perfect as you can get. Right. And, and I don't Vegas, I think, last year was pretty darn perfect. Yeah, but Vegas also like had Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson in that. That's right? true. You yeah, know? That's I mean, true. That call and that Colorado team, you know how long that team got to stay together? One year. Yeah, but they did it. And yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. And then it got <laughs> gutted, right? Like uh, didn't it, get gutted. I mean, Kadri was so huge. That's yeah. what was the Landeskog being out hurts. Yeah. But, but that wasn't Anything to do with the salary cap? No, but that's what I'm saying. Like that team got—I mean, they're not decimated, but they really got knocked down a peg or two. Like that year, Kadri was playing better than a lot of teams. One C, mm-hmm. and he was plugging in as a two C behind. By the way, a pretty good one C in McKinnon. Like that's what just—that was so tough to deal with. Yeah, is Kadri was playing. I mean, he had like 90 points that year. He was great. I like this one from three-time soapbox derby champion Ronnie Beck. Three times too. That's impressive. What I'm worried about most is the fact that I'm not worried. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, it's like it's quiet in here. Too quiet. Too quiet. <laughs> Something's going to go wrong. I can feel it. Ah, that's not true. Okay, uh, we're getting a ton of text into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket, which is great. Because not only uh, can we use them for content, we can also uh, put them into the pile to give away a $100 gift card to Primetime Bridge Brewing. Uh, it's going to go to the best of what we learned. So keep sending them in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Put a beer emoji into your text. Make it good because, as Jason pointed out earlier, it's not a draw. It's a contest. Best of what we learned wins a $100 gift card for beer. Uh, coming up in the final hour of the show, Manny Viveros, the head coach of the Vancouver Giants, also spent some time in the Vegas Golden Knights organization. We'll ask him about what he knows about Phil Kessel, who, of course, is now going to the American League team in Abbotsford, having spent last year with the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll also do what we learned, and we will give away the gift card. we got one big final hour to come, so don't go anywhere. Keep it on the dial. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.